0: live from washington dc this is backroom politics with moderator justin russell and hello out there in radio land it is time for the best political talk show you've never heard of it is backroom politics from well split screen edition in this one in studio at podcast studios there in studio a we've got the man who served at last count under four presidents he is the former Undersecretary of Commerce for International Trade. The man we know is Alan Moore. Hello, Alan. Hello, Justin. And I am your host and moderator, Justin Russell. In a split-screen edition, I am broadcasting to you from beautiful and muggy South Florida. Uh, Admiral Ken will be joining us here shortly in Studio A. But we've got a lot to talk about on this. The the big news, obviously, is the, the actions of the President and the White House Regarding the crisis on the southern border, in case you did not see it, Uh, within the past 24 hours, the president has fired both or in the past 48 hours, he has fired both the Secretary of Homeland Security, Kirsten Nielsen. He has released the director of the uh, Secret Service tech sales. Uh, he is talking about releasing several others in the administration. So if you're looking at a headcount inside DHS, as of this day, there is no there is no Senate confirmed secretary. There is no second there's no Senate confirmed uh, deputy secretary. There is no Senate confirmed head of FEMA. There is no Senate confirmed head of customs and border protection as the current acting head of customs and border protection is now the acting Homeland security secretary, one Kevin Mc, uh, uh, You have no Senate confirmed leader at FEMA. And apparently that's not where the bloodletting is going to end. All of this while a humanitarian crisis continues to brew on our southern border. Uh, Alan, let's first talk about what's happening in Washington. Um, depending on what day it is and what the president may have had for breakfast, uh, Secretary Kirsten Nielsen was never really in uh, firm consideration of being a permanent secretary of homeland security she's been on thin ice for a while now uh but why so abrupt and why so unexpected today well yeah i i'm not sure
1: about how unexpected since she has uh, suffered his wrath numerous times sometimes semi-publicly and sometimes just by lar- large, largely spread by rumors spread by by multiple people who witnessed uh, the awkward moments between the two. Um, remember, she came into that job as the uh, as the hand chosen first choice of the the original uh, head of the department, which was John Kelly. And when Kelly came to the White House uh, to be chief of staff. Uh, after Reince Priebus left. um, He convinced the president that she would be a great choice and the right choice to head the department. The president was never sold on her, and neither were a couple of people around him. Um, So she always was sort of scratching and and, and, and clawing for position um, of credibility, of, of authority, and so on. And then it became her unfortunate task to do two things. one, carry out policies she didn't she did not agree with and was sometimes not consulted on um, and on other occasions it was her unfortunate duty to tell the president when he ordered her to do stuff that he could not legally do it. and the president bristles at being told that he can't do something, It doesn't matter the reason.
0: Um, So let, let me ask you this question real quick. Was was Kirsten Nielsen just a victim of her being not advanced enough politically to maneuver in a Trump White House? Or was she set up for failure the day she took the job? Well, I don't know. I, I, I don't know now
1: what they're going to do for leadership. Uh, when you were talking about the changes that had occurred, you left out something that occurred just last week, which is that a longtime senior member uh, of of the I think the Customs Service of certainly of the department who is going to be the new head of of the infamous ICE. Um, oh yeah. Immigration fair. and Customs Enforcement. His name had been advanced. He was the nominee of the president, and then abruptly, without notice, uh, he was his name was withdrawn. And the and the explanation given out on the lawn by the president was, "Well, we're going to go in a different direction. we We want a we want a tougher approach in that job." And there was nothing further said about it. It was a big surprise Uh the, the then <laughs> then secretary uh, uh, Nielsen was not. Uh, part of the decision. Um, so it undercut her, and it made things even more challenging inside the department. It created—it it gave a hint of what was to come over the weekend. And now you've got, as you pointed out, half a dozen very senior jobs that that are are not filled. The highest current job actually filled is an undersecretary for management who—
0: who is acting deputy secretary
1: well she's acting acting deputy and under the rule under the law that created the department she is the designee to be acting secretary but that has
0: never that has never been an issue that the white house has really had no, no no
1: no but 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 at the, at DHS a newer department right. it's not something they can ignore so because the statute itself lays out the ground rules so uh, the speculation is that even though there's no particular complaint with her job, she may have to be removed in order to allow uh, for the designee to be acting secretary to actually serve. So, it's you know, the, it's the typical thing, uh, of, the, of the kind of stuff that they do to themselves. And the president gets out front without any significant consultation. And if he has to backtrack on it, uh, or fire somebody because he didn't realize what the problem was. They just look all the more inept.
0: Well, you know, the funny thing, the thing about it is, you know, you were talking about Ron Vitello, who is the, who was the nominee for ICE. Uh, and you're also talking about uh, Claire Grady. Uh, Claire, who who's somebody I've worked with in, in previous administrations. Uh, Claire... I the word on the street is Claire's job is not secure. Uh, And again, authorizing statute in enabling legislation, creating a department be darned in this White House. Uh, They've put in um, Kevin McElhinney, the current head of CBP, as the acting, which, you know, like you had said, Ellen, does not coincide with the enabling legislation that created the department. Um, Admiral Ken joining us in Studio A. Uh, Admiral Ken, you've got now two of the major components of national security, the Secretary of Defense, which has an acting, and no defense policy experience per se, and now you've got the Secretary of Homeland Security now vacant what message does this send not only to the national security team, but what message does this send to the rank and file in DHS? Let's say.
2: Well, I I think that um, I can speak I can speak pretty pretty definitively about the folks over at DOD. Um, the Pentagon is is uh, in the words of a very very senior. Uh, civilian executive over there, it's it's camp run amok. Um, there's no direction. Um, there is no um, there's no organization. Uh, meetings are are, are, are scheduled, um, and then within uh, a day or two or less, they are canceled. And um, no no plan rescheduled after that. And it's just really really difficult to get anything done in that kind of environment. Um, to Alan's point, Homeland Security is a newer agency. Uh, however, you know it's staffed with the same kind of people, and many of the people that were probably in DoD at one time have transitioned over to Homeland Security. And you know, when you are a mid-grade, um, upper-grade uh, person, be you in uniform or not, you tend to look to your leadership for guidance on how to make decisions, and. Um, you know, Washington, D.C. is not one of those places that um, that functions um, where people just kind of take the initiative and just do things without there being some sort of recompense. They look for permission. The old idea of um, permission uh, is harder to get than, than forgiveness. Um, yeah, after you've seen a few people get fired, you know that that's, that's not a good way to go. So I, I would anticipate, you know, that 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 Homeland Security is probably working the same way. You know, taking a step back from this— you know, I, I think that it's it's if it hasn't been said already, I think it's pretty much easy to see that President Trump is is used to running a different kind of organization than the one he's running now. He's used to being able to, um, you know, turn on a dime, change his mind and everybody fall in line. And, you know, and the regulations that he had to follow were ones that he created versus ones that were created before he even got there and he had to play by those rules. Um, you know, we, we joked last week about the fact that he likes to cheat at golf. Well, I mean, those were, again, those are rules that, that were on the field before he got there, but he doesn't really pay attention to them. And I, you know, there's no saying that you can tell a lot by uh, about a person by the way they play golf. And this is falling right in line with that.
0: Well, and McKenna, let me follow up with you. It, it, does the fact that we have two such senior national security heads, uh, not seeded.
2: Does that create a threat to our national security? No, I don't think so. I, I think you know. I think really. Yeah, I, I think so. I, I believe that, and here's why. So, so the the people at the top of the food chain are, are policy makers. The further you go down the food chain, these are people that are executing current policy. So you know, so current policy. If you if you believe that that the that the that the policies and rules and uh, and processes that that are in place now, that have basically been in place since since President Trump came in office and, and and probably even before then, if you believe those are working, those will continue to work. And it's like it's like when Justin, you and I were in uniform, new commanding officer rolls in. You know, typically you know they end their 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 incoming speech with you know all current regulations remain in effect until otherwise notified. And so, I like to believe that you know. I know this to be true in DOD, and I like to believe that because the same kind of people exist over at Homeland Security, that you've got the same kind of mindset. So, I, I think. But as 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 we know, the world is in a constant state of change. Um, policymakers, their biggest challenge is to understand what is possible within the law. And what can they do with the resources that they have, and how? What can they do if they're able to get a modicum of more resources? That is the key to being a policy leader in Washington D.C. So, if you believe that that absent those those policymakers, that the tactical and operational levels of the organizations are still in effect, the then I think going to be okay. So, I think can not we stay like this at at uh, um, at infinitum? I wouldn't think it'd be a good idea because again, the world's changing. And I'm quite and I'm quite surprised that, that the uh that the that even though the um the the uh the secretary of defense position is 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 still open, but there's someone there that's acting in that person's stead, and so I got to believe that those the policy work is still being done.
0: Yeah, but does it send a bad message to our adversaries, i.e. Russia, China, that this if you're going to do something outside the norm, now would be the time? I think that if
2: the the tables were turned and we were looking at disarray in Russia, I think that um, we would you know look probably for an opportunity to do some things that we might not be able to do normally. so does is that sending a message? Yeah, but I also think too that that a good number of the of the countries that we are concerned uh, about have had some concerns about how this country's been run since the last election. So um, I, I don't think, you know, the, the a missing uh, secretary of defense or secretary of Homeland Security is going to make them any more action oriented than 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 they were before. So I don't know.
0: Yeah. I, Alan, I, we're, not talking, we're not talking about just, um, you know, a missing secretary of Homeland Security and a missing secretary of defense. We're talking about a national in a national security infrastructure that seems to be, for lack of a better word, in chaos.
1: Well, um, it 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 is in a degree of chaos. I think Ken did a great job of describing sort of the institutional structure of the of the Pentagon that allows us to deal with change um, from one admi- one administration to another within an administration. Um, it it is not uh, automatic chaos when there is change. Um, DHS is. Is missing now the top four or five people? It's a newer agency, uh, as Ken points out. Some of those people have DOD backgrounds; others came from Treasury. Um, uh, others came co- from DHA. Yeah, it, they, 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 they put a lot of pieces together uh, years ago, and I I think they've they function reasonably, but they don't have the long historical uh, coherence. The problem I worry about at DHS is that it has become increasingly the Department of Immigration and the Southern Border. And that's not what its charter is. It's a piece of the charter. But Homeland Security is more than... Desperate families trying to come across the border and seek asylum and us focusing on whether we can build a bigger and longer wall um, or have other punitive measures to keep out people who, by and large, although there have to be some exceptions, by and large, don't don't pose a, a particular security threat other than their sheer numbers, which are overwhelming our capacity on the border and and Creating the potential for some chaos and some potential for hard feelings and dumb decisions between us and the Mexicans, for example. Um, that's a that's a that's a very important relationship to America. And it and it's been under stress. There's got some fragile weak points to it, and it right. doesn't need new pressure by ultimatums and demands from a president who's frustrated that he looks weak because the people keep coming in.
0: And me, we're going to talk me, about me, that. And, and I want to talk but, about that in the in the second segment on the show. But well, uh, just because, let
1: me just finish those because yeah. because meanwhile. The subject of cybersecurity was an area that, that Secretary Nielsen herself was something of an expert on. It is part of her background. It's a critical part of Homeland Security. Um, and and back to your question about whether this is an opportuni- opportune time for our adversaries to maybe poke and probe a little bit. I have to wonder if the the, the the Russians who've shown an ability to understand our system and to make use of it and to have some impact on our uh, elections and uh, presumably fool around and experiment with other kinds of interference – uh, in in for example our power system our water system our uh, basic communication system and our it's not just it's not just Russia. absolutely it's not just the mm-hmm. russians the chinese the, the it was the north koreans you'll remember who 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 got into the to the to the sony system and stole the movie because they were angry i mean right. we have all kinds of vulnerabilities that none of us around this table begin to comprehend but we rely on the expertise of people in a rapidly changing uh, technological environment to provide some level of protection. And the more that the secretary, the absent deputy, the acting deputy, who's this undersecretary who might or might not survive, uh, are are wondering about how to spend their day uh, and whether to do their job or to worry about how to keep their job or who's next or who's going to be harmed, um, this new acting secretary doesn't presumably know much at all about some of these areas he's he's the customs
2: (laughs) but he's got people he's got people people on his team on her team sorry
0: well first of all let, let me just stop right there kevin is somebody who who i know uh who i've worked with him before uh the the man knows homeland security i think the issue is uh Kevin is a career uh, customs official. He is, you know, he's dealt with a lot of the homeland security issues, dealt a lot with interagency, a lot with intelligence community in many of his roles. The, The question is, though, it's not the qualifications of the acting. It's the does he enter in an acting role that as much as he may know about Homeland Security, he still has to fly on the whim of what's coming out of the Oval Office. Does that make the position more of a figurehead than operational?
1: Well, there's a couple things here. So I don't know quite how that structure works. I obviously don't know the man. I've got nothing against the man. But usually what you like to do, if you're going to bring, a new head of an agency in is go through some kind of a search, find your candidate, vet the candidate, start preparing the candidate, get the candidate while he's he or she is not under the pressure of delivering on the job to better and more completely understand everything involved in the job, the priorities of the department, the priori- priorities of the of the politicians. Sure, he's been in that environment. He's not ignorant about all of this stuff, but he's also been doing a major senior demanding job. And all of a sudden... He is in the middle of a political storm where he will be attacked by people who don't like the president, who don't like Stephen Miller, the presidential advisor who's credited with at least encouraging the president's which instincts on immigration. Which I want to talk, on, on and, want to talk and,
0: about him in a second. And, Keep going, and,
1: though, and so, And so it, it, it is an enormously challenging uh, set of responsibilities to move into a job of leadership of this type when this kind of chaos is going on all around national focus political focus news etc so so good, good good luck to him but good luck to the rest of us in in our our in protecting ourselves
2: meanwhile meanwhile um, whoever that new person is is supported and buttressed by um What heretofore has been a very, very adept, uh, intelligent, uh, functioning organization of uh, of professionals that um, understand the threat uh, on all fronts and are able to provide the leadership with uh, options when the time comes. So that part of the organization has not shifted. The thing that I would worry about is uh, with this new person and 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 i I, I also stress this worry with uh, the president is the ability for the new leader to project uh, an environment to where it's okay uh, for one of his one of his advisors to say yeah sir but we could do that but that'd be a really dumb thing to do or words to that effect or, we could do that, but here are the, the 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 second and third order effects of the of, of our actions, and are we prepared to do? Uh, are we prepared to deal with those? So yeah. far, so far, that has not been the environment in which Donald Trump has run his cabinet, and so my fear is that that lack of openness, um, because of all of the political um, pressures that Alan um, has described. Would would leach down into the lower parts of the organization to where it's dumbed down to where the emperor nor the princes have any clothes, right?
0: Right. Um, we're, we're we're coming up on uh, twenty five after the hour. I I want to uh, take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about the dark Sith Lord. In the room that uh, We've already mentioned him, Stephen Miller And then I want to talk about exactly what exactly The reality is versus the President's reality on the Southern border This is the best political talk show you've never heard of From podcast studios Well, at least they are I'm in South Florida Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. Your nation's capital We'll be back in a couple of minutes Stay with us
3: That's the way I feel today because he's making a plaything of my devotion. That's the way I feel today. Without any reason or a word to say, that man turned his keys in and he packed and went away. What good is living? I'll soon be giving my body up to the ocean. That's the way I feel today. Because he's making a plaything of my devotion That's the way I feel you today Without any reason or a word to say That man turned his keys in he packed and went away What good is living will soon be giving my body up to the ocean That's the way I feel you today
0: from Washington, D.C., this is Backroom Politics with moderator Justin Russell. And we're back with the best political talk that you've never heard of. It is Backroom Politics from Podcast Village Studio A. And in studio, we've got Alan Moore, Admiral Ken Carradine. I'm your host, moderator Justin Russell, down here in beautiful, muggy South Florida. Uh, We're talking about the continued, uh, continued... Uh, uncertainty coming out of the Department of Homeland Security with the recent departure of Secretary of Homeland Security Kirsten Nielsen uh, and the removal of several high-ranking officials and uh, other nominees for key positions in the department. Uh, let's let's talk about the dark Sith in the room. We mentioned them in the past uh, uh, past segment, but. The guy who seems to be driving this truck is Stephen Miller, the special assistant to the president. Um, this is a guy that has, from what I can tell, zero credible experience in Homeland Security, yet he seems to be driving the train for the president on a very sensitive and highly um, provocative mission and issue. Alan Moore, where does Stephen Miller get the gravitas to start pulling the cards for what is a national security policy and operation?
1: Well, so uh, so I would disagree with your characterization that he has no experience. He worked on the Hill uh, in the Senate for, for Jeff Sessions, um, worked on the campaign for the He's president, was... Yeah. Yeah. He's four years younger than would be president, uh, Mayor Pete Buttigieg. Um, But but uh, I'm not defending Miller. I don't like what I know about him. I've never met the man, but uh, he has been doing immigration related work for four or five years. Whether he's done anything else on Homeland Security, I don't know. Whether he's got anything else in his portfolio other than immigration, I don't know. It's not obvious. Um, when he's made television appearances, which he has done from time to time, the conclusion was pretty quickly: keep him off the air because <laughs> he offends people and he creeps them out. Um, but but he uh, he is quite apparently quite knowledgeable um, in terms of. Policy facts procedures policies etc. And more to the point, he has figured out how to tap into the president and what the president is thinking. I'm, I'm, as a as a longtime staff member to elected politicians, I I I always get a little anxious at the notion that it's the staff member's fault. Um, It's the principal's fault. I think that the pre- I, I'm not. It's no defense of, of of Stephen Miller, but it's the president who's making the call. He's got more than one person, but Miller might be the main one and the easy one to target because he's it's Maybe. so it's so he's just creepy. he's creepy and he's so distasteful to look at and listen to um, that that he's a, he's an interesting target. But make no mistake, the president has heard many many voices. On, on immigration. And he keeps coming back to the hard line, hard right um, nationalist point of view that seems to be represented by, by uh, Stephen Miller.
0: I got to tell you something, Alan, as, as somebody who's dealt with Homeland Security policy and been operational on the front lines of that, to me, that scares me that somebody who has no operational experience and has really done the job before is driving such a critical facet of our national security into a man that has, again, no zero, uh, again, into a president he is, that has never really thought to sit down and get knowledgeable on the deep facts of what reality he is. He is
2: the embodiment of the less you know about a thing, the simpler it must be. It well, really is.
0: I mean, yeah. I mean, this is a guy that thinks, hey, if you thought that uh, You know, medical insurance is hard Try homeland security And and try doing homeland security policy On a grand level to include border security Not just on the southern border Alan Moore, I mean, this You know, we, we've seen people like Chuck Grassley Have concerns about the role of Stephen Miller uh, Even supporters of the president Uh, such as Lindsey Graham has underlying issues regarding the role of Stephen Miller in immigration policy. And again, this is driving a recent set of actions, the release of uh, Kirsten Nielsen, the release of the Secret Service director, the withdrawal of the ICE director. Does going in a tougher direction, the right message to send out not just to America, but to its allies.
1: So not in my opinion, um, but nobody's asking for my opinion. Um, I do think, though, you make a mistake. First of all, from what I know, Miller's laser beam focus is on not on homeland security per se, not on the department, but on the issues surrounding immigration, asylum, refugees, immigration numbers, policies, procedures, and so on, that that he's he's not paying attention to the rest of the department. He's focused on that question of human of human beings come across. I'm just saying you all I know or all I all I understand is that that's his focus. That's a presidential priority, a presidential political focus. I worry about the impact on the larger department, as I said before, when so much of the focus is simply on immigration and the southern border, given the larger responsibilities. As Ken pointed out, you have a lot of professionals in that organization who are who are doing their jobs. Unfortunately, there's a lot of distraction uh, going on right now. But but if 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 something hap if something were to happen to Stephen Miller. It's not as though everything would then be pure, beautiful and wonderful with this president and and his border policies. Stephen Miller's views are not unique to Stephen Miller. There are many people who have views similar to his who want to get tough, who want to talk about shutting down the border, who want to talk about keeping people out, who are perfectly happy to separate parents from children. You know, if if for no other reason than to dissuade them from coming here in the first place Um, and and the the president hears it from Miller, but he hears it from other people as well. And he's the decision maker. So, you you know, I'm no defender, no friend of Miller, but but the 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 president
0: is the decider in chief here. Right. But let me just jump in real quick and ask you, you know, if there are concerns coming from key party senators like Chuck Grassley, like Lindsey Graham, like some in the House that have popped up saying that this is an issue, uh, does the harder line and let me rephrase this, does the harder line and the resistance to the harder line coming from the Hill, does that create a an inter-party shakeup that might be soon to come, or is this a deeper issue that Republicans are going to have to deal with?
1: Well, it, it, it's it's both of those things, but let's make one thing very clear. If there is criticism of Stephen Miller, Miller is just the, the convenient target they can talk about, and it's a lot easier to say, Mr. President, this guy's an idiot, he's doing you harm, get him out of there— it, you, they'd much rather say that than, Mr. President, you're an idiot, you're doing harm, get away from this issue. Um, it's the president who's making these decisions. It's the president who's shifting here and there and everywhere. Yeah, Miller appears to have his ear, but it's not Miller who's calling these shots. So when you hear criticism of Miller, Miller is just this convenient surrogate for people who are very frustrated with their president. So they can attack the president's policies indirectly by attacking Miller rather than attacking the president himself.
2: Admiral can you disagree? Yeah, a little bit. So I, I, think, I think all of what Alan has said is just absolutely true. But it's not the point of why, of, of why this is all happening. This is about 2020. The president needs to be able to count on his core. He, and, and, and in a world where the, the Democratic nominee is someone like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, uh, that people just are not going to be able to wrap their heads around voting for a socialist, and, and I, I'm, my fear is that Elizabeth Warren is going to get painted with the same uh, paint of dislike that, uh, that was attached to Hillary Clinton, he needs to be able to count on his core 30 percent because the rest of the country is going to say, yeah, sorry, you know what, we don't like him, but we can hold our noses just one more time. And so he is not going to do anything. And Steven Miller for for all of his ills, for his creepiness, for his for his um for his love of being so far up certain people's rear that he can do a a tonsillectomy with 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 a, with, a, with with tweezers. Um you know, he has got his finger firmly on the pulse. Of Donald Trump's thirty percent, he really does, and this is about maintaining that thirty percent. Everything that the president does yeah, with regard to um, uh, hyperbole, uh, saying he's going to start the family separations again and then not, and then saying that he will, uh, hanging uh, Kirsten um, uh, Nielsen out—you uh, uh, know—all this is designed to basically keep his thirty percent intact, so that when he comes up for re-election, his chances are better.
0: Sit. It's easy. Uh, I mean, Alan, does that make sense? Oh,
1: I think there's no question that that the 2020 election overhangs all of this stuff in. Um, but but this particular set of issues was uh, was a key ingredient from the day the president announced uh, and, and reminded us about all these drug dealers and rapists who are coming in from the southern border. Um, and he has been riding that that racist uh, horse um from from day one, um, uh, I, I would not uh, underestimate uh, Stephen Miller and his knowledge. He has to be in a lot of meetings. He has to argue these issues with a whole bunch of folks who who are prepped, who 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 are equipped with with information, and so on. I think he does know his stuff at least in terms of the numbers. Um, and I think he also, as Ken points out, knows the this core uh group that follows the president and and there's a lot of passion there and I think he may feel the passion. I don't like the fact that he's there. I don't like the fact that he has that kind of influence, but I I think that that it it again comes back to the president who is in agreement. He wants to keep his base which I fear is even more than the 30% that we talked about. Um, It may be closer to 40, frightening as that is. Um, And and um, and then then, of course, there are others who, as you say, will get to the point and they'll hold their nose and vote for the president again. If the alternative is somebody that they find so distasteful and 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 dangerous that that the president gets, uh, uh,
0: uh, you know, the vote by default. We'll see. We'll see. Let, let's talk about the situation going on down in the uh, down on the southern border. This is a this is a matter of, of, of grave concern. Uh, Admiral Ken, we've heard stories that, you know, again, that, that bring us back to uh, the the visions that we had back in the early 80s during the Mariel boat lifts of these tent villages under overpasses under i-95 and apparently from what we're hearing from the southern border some of those conditions would be glorious compared to the conditions that we're seeing on the southern border today is is the humanitarian mission that dhs is supposed to carry out on the southern border is it lost in the fold with all these other distractions
2: happening and it does it get lost with the
0: harder line that
2: might be coming down the road. So, I, you know, I think my answer would require me to try and muse for a moment as to how easy, uh, how much more solvable this problem would be were it not for the specter of racism and uh, anti-Brown peopleism that the president has injected into this whole issue from the first days that he announced his campaign. Uh, if that were not the case, I think that rather than looking for people to blame, looking for people to fire in the numerous in uh, in, in uh, numerous government agencies, I think that this would be looked upon as a problem to solve versus one to ignore or to uh, hold in disdain. So, I, while I think the issue is bad. Um, and, and and quite frankly, I, I haven't been there yet. I, I can only attest to what I've seen on the the different uh, news networks and and the, the different papers. But you know, we are we <laughs> this country this country put people on the moon, and there's no one that can tell me that that when we look at when we look at a serious problem with serious uh, ideas, and we stop looking to 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 blame and castigate. And you know to to, to build uh, false edifices um, that have the the magical uh, ability to keep these people out, then we can talk about doing some real problem solving here. But that's not the world that we're living in.
0: I mean, Ellen Ward, the president's literally told everybody in Latin America, "America's closed to you." He said that basically in a speech over the weekend uh, telling uh, a gathering of Republican uh, Jewish uh, constituents that basically we're full. We have no more room. You got to turn around. Uh, Is that mantra going to lessen the fact that there's still a pileup on the southern border? And is that enough to, I mean, maybe the president's crazy like a fox. It might turn everybody around. That might be somewhere en route between Honduras and Mexico and the southern border.
1: No, it's not turning anybody around. It's going to make it. it, All it does is it causes people to say, oh, my God, we got to get there. We got to get there fast. Um, uh, And I think that that that's one of the contributing factors to some of the extraordinary, this extraordinary spike in numbers that, that occurred last month of about. 100,000 apprehensions when we were averaging <laughs> the 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 more comforting but still kind of appalling when you think about it, 30 to 40,000 per month um these numbers have it, it, those are historically low numbers right that right. that that are just this convenient reminder of you know, we've been dealing with this for, for a long time. What we weren't prepared for was, um, was, was this spike. And I'm, you mentioned the Marielle Bulllift, and I remember there were about 100,000 Cubans that came across. And a, and a very large number of them went to, a, to, a, to an Army base in, in, uh, in Arkansas that had a, a lot of space and the capacity to, to deal with a very large one-time number. And it was really a one-time surge that we were able to manage over a period of time, and now we're talking about a number like that on a monthly basis um, from countries that don't have the the political sympathies of of a Cuba. But nobody was going to take a hundred thousand a month from Cuba um, uh, under any circumstance, and so these right. numbers are overwhelming it was I was I was interested yesterday Bernie Sanders or the other day he was asked in a in a town meeting so you're for open borders but but w- w- do we ever stop any at, at any place and he said wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute he said something like the following I am not never now nor ever have been for open borders we have to have control over our borders we have to have some kind of reasonable process he said there are millions and millions of of desperately poor people all over the world, they cannot come here. We cannot take them in. We cannot absorb them. Um, and he wanted to make that very clear. And what what that told me not that not that it's necessarily a departure for him, but but that the Democrats who have had so much fun attacking the president for his ugliness and 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 his racism um, are also trying to figure out wait a minute we don't want to own these numbers of a hundred thousand people a month coming in right g- grossly overwhelming our capacity along the border i mean even in, in the southern border they're looking in dallas now can you take right set up some temporary thing for 10,000, 20,000, 30,000, it's a real problem that requires everybody in the political system to come together and say, what can we agree
2: on? Right. Admiral Ken, go ahead. So, as with most things, the issues don't change. It's just the different Politicians have got different ways of trying to solve the problem. You're absolutely right. I mean, this is the, the immigration issue has been around for a good long time. Uh, Justin saw it in the Coast Guard. I saw it when we were working with the Coast Guard. I mean, it, it just works that way. Uh, I guess the question that I have, and, and, and maybe we'll talk about this later. So, when the president was talking to these Jewish constituents, was this the same group that he talked about being in the room full of great negotiators, just out of curiosity? Uh,
0: say that again. Okay. This, is this the same meeting
2: that he talked about being in the room full of great negotiators? Uh, I
0: don't know. I, yeah, I, don't. I think it
2: was. Yeah, it, and, and, and the thing that I don't, I don't think people understand is that this, that the, that the, that the, that the animus for other people who are not like him that the president holds for people has no bounds. It just blows right. me away, and we he never gets called on it.
0: Well, that, that's true. Looking at all this right now, uh, I mean, we talked about it earlier and we mentioned it last week, but I literally again had one southern border sheriff in new mexico telling me that they are concerned that the scene south of san ysidro is starting to look like a syrian refugee camp that's not something alan that we should be talking about in a western hemisphere on two developed uh countries between mexico and ourselves how do we let it get this bad and Is the White House fully prepared to let this get worse?
1: Well, you let it get this bad because nobody has a plan B that says, what if we have to deal with 100,000 more people this month? And then a similar number next month. You you sort of have a you, you have a capacity. You, you have the facilities, the personnel. I'm not talking about keeping out about uh, the, the people who want to sneak in, the potential terrorists and so on. I'm talking about a flood of humanity, most of it women and children, old people, some men. Um, but the sheer numbers that w- we feel like we have a duty and a responsibility, us and the Mexicans, to give them some kind of shelter, some kind of food, some kind of security, some kind of stability while we process their claim and then decide, and nobody's even talking about this, you know, maybe a third of these people get in. Then what? what are the, that's, that's a much larger number than we've dealt with and that, and that we've got the, the, the infrastructure and capacity to right. deal with.
2: Right. I, I think Admiral that County. I think that's that's kind of a reactionary approach to things. I, I think that the real solution to this starts with looking at w- what is the source. Why are these people fleeing? You know, we talk about the amount of violence and um, um, and crime that's going on in places like Honduras. So, I, and I, these are questions that I, I unfortunately don't have the answer to right now. But I'll I'll do some research before we get together again. What are we doing? Uh, at the at the at the uh, national state on state level to try and help fix that problem because as long as those problems exist the flood of humanity coming to our shores is going to continue you've got to go to the source you've got to cut it off there that's the problem well, this
0: goes back to the well, discussion we had last week Alan about federal aid we going... talked
1: at length about this very subject um, right um, and I'm and it's not I,
2: just money I'm trying. That's just money. I'm,
1: I'm, trying to, I'm trying to absorb being called a reactionary. Um, when, Sorry, brother. But, <laughs> where, 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 where Ken, You're not used Ken, to that,
2: aren't you, Malik? I mean it with love. Ken's,
1: Ken, Ken's view would be, we've got 100,000 people, so... Let's spend hundreds of millions more down and and, and then tell these people no, we'll be I'm back not. to them later. No, no, I'm I mean, not. We have a problem that we cannot ignore, and we don't have the plan B, the capacity to deal with today, tomorrow, this week, next week. Last week we spent quite a bit of time being highly critical of the suggestion that cutting the aid of hundreds of millions of dollars to these three countries that are providing most of the people coming up um, is, is it, it makes no sense. Um, that money is not the perception is we're giving money to corrupt governments and they're all getting rich and 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 uh, opening up Swiss bank accounts or Cayman Island accounts. And in <laughs> fact, most of that money is spent on third-party nonprofit do-gooder organizations that that struggle to carry out their responsibilities and make some real progress. But in countries that are filled with corruption and violence, um, and it's in, and we have to play the long game, in those countries, even as we deal with the immediate right. ga- game, if you will, the the problem confronting us today. I would
2: much rather put U.S. troops in those countries, working with those governments, than on our border, uh, pointing guns at little kids.
0: It well, there's truth in that, but but let me go back to Admiral Ken. I do. I am curious. What makes.
2: Alan's position, reactionary. Well, oh, no, I, 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 you know, and and Alan, I meant that with love, and, and <laughs> all I was saying was no. trying to solve the problem once they're on our border is is not enough we've got to do something to basically uh work on the source of of why why the people are why these people are, are fleeing their their homelands because at the end of the day we talked about this last week too yeah think about the fact what it takes for a mother to basically take her kid or kids travel thousands of miles mostly by foot on an or in the back of an animal or in the back of a truck that's driven by god knows who to the to a, to the u.s border to live in uh, something that looks like tent city without proper uh, proper sewage um, management. So mm-hmm. that takes a lot. So you got to ask yourself, okay, what what is the impetus for her making that change? And again, you, 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 we talked last week at length about 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 the uh, about just giving the money. All I'm saying is that it takes more than just money, and I think we need to take. Uh, and I would, and I said that, uh, and it may have been taken. Uh, facetiously, but I really would rather see a deployment of U.S. troops in these countries uh, rather than seeing them on the U.S. border. Let the
1: record show. That, that Admiral Ken wants to send troops to Central America. Now that I, I, you is know what?
2: news. Somebody people some people tell me you know Ken the kinetic response is not always not always the answer. Well, I I'd I sometimes say well it depends on what the question is. It's an
0: interesting take. Hey, you know we've only got a few more minutes left in in, in this uh, in this episode, but I, I do want to talk about the fact we, all all things considered. Uh, now we've got two problems that we have to look at as a country. Uh, and the administration has to deal with, number one, with all of the factors involved, not only the continuing uh, uh, mass that's happening on the southern border, but all things homeland security, the increasing threat of cybersecurity, uh, the increasing threat to uh, aviation security, transportation infrastructure security, all of that uh, with a one trick pony administration focused on the southern border number one who should we get as a next uh secretary of homeland security and number two is anybody of quality in their right mind going to take the job let me start with admiral ken
2: i don't have a short list of people that i would uh throw into that breach and um you know as someone who you know momentarily thought about working in this administration I wouldn't recommend it to anybody that I know and like uh I probably think one or two people I work with that I don't like that I would probably put into that position but uh um and and quite frankly I don't know anyone with a brain uh that is concerned about their reputation uh and their ability to get into heaven at the end of it would, would take the job.
1: Alan Moore? Yeah I, I think Ken is absolutely right here that that this president has shown that he demands loyalty. It's again, it comes back to the to the, the problem that that Ken also described about how this president still thinks he is running his own real estate company. He gets to call the shots. He says jump, people say how high, and they do what he says. And if they don't, they leave. He expects that in a governmental constitutional system where it does not work that way, and he has not adjusted to it he's trying to bend um the the system and uh, and 240 years of institutions uh, to into his direction he demands loyalty from those below him he gives very little loyalty back um all these people that he that are leaving uh, now and previously if they're lucky they get a slight tap on the back and a word of thanks even as he then makes it very clear that, yes, I really fired General Mattis. It wasn't that he resigned uh, in principle. Um, The only people that, that will be willing to come into this administration, sadly, are at this point are people who are your B and C teamers, who are still thinking it could help them, or people who are at the end of the road, and are basically retired, not worrying about a next job, so that the John Kellys and the and, and Jim Mattis' will be willing to to come in because it's going to be their last stop. Right. right.
0: By the way, you're already talking about a department that has one of the lowest morale factors in all of U.S. government, but that's for another show. Uh, Special thanks to Rob the Engineer for making this happen, making us sound good, especially in remote broadcast like this. On behalf of Admiral Ken, Alan Moore there in Studio A, Rob the Engineer behind the glass, and of course we always love Charlie and Oscar, our host here at Podcast Village in Upper Georgetown, Washington, D.C. in your nation's capital. I am your moderator, Justin Russell. You can find us on Instagram now, at Backroom Politics. You can also follow us on Twitter at Backroom Politics. You can follow us on all of your favorite podcasting services, including iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. We're kind of a big deal now. Uh, We'll be back again soon. Hopefully Uh, the creeks don't rise, and we will uh, talk hopefully uh, soon. Have a great week, America. We'll see you. Bye-bye.
3: I